Hey, this is Jonathan at pureandsimplebible.com. I am so thankful to have you back with me on the podcast and grateful to Brother Kevin Presley for being on the show with me for the next couple of weeks. Kevin was in town for a gospel meeting that our congregation, the Denton County Church of Christ, uh, had with him and Hayden Ayers back in the beginning of October. And uh, while he was in town, he stayed with us. And while he stayed here, uh, he joined me in studio to talk about the resurrection body. You know, this was a conversation that I got a whole lot out of. Uh, there are things that I learned, that some questions that I had that were answered, and, and I think you're going to enjoy it too, especially maybe if you've heard about the resurrection body, but you've had questions about the presentation that, that uh, somebody has given in the past. So without further ado, let's jump right into the resurrection body with Brother Kevin Presley. Well, brother, I'm grateful that you're here, and I'm looking forward to um, this discussion on 1 Corinthians chapter 15 called From Dust to Glory. Now, it's on the bodily resurrection. Mm-hmm. There's definitely um, some people who've maybe doubted the bodily resurrection, and then some things need to be straightened out or discussed. And I, I won't lie, I, I feel like I need to have some uh, scriptures and some things explained. So I'm looking forward to it just mm-hmm. on that end personally. I hope others are as well. Maybe you could spend a moment kind of introducing the the thoughts and give us an idea of where we're going to be going today. Well, eschatology is an important subject in the Bible and has a great deal of theological significance, more than some people give it credit for. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people think, well, what's important is just living the Christian life and what happens in the end happens in the end. Well, yes, in the here and now it is important that we live the Christian life, but I think God intends for us to have at least a general idea of eschatology because it is all the culmination of his plan of redemption for the ages. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the basic components of of uh, the Christian life is the hope that we have in, right. in Christ. And part right. of that hope is the idea of not only a resurrection, generally speaking, but even the resurrection of the body. Mm. And I believe that God, you know, I don't think our body is incidental. Mm-hmm. I think God created our bodies and, you know, that that has a place in God's redemptive scheme. Okay. Well, when Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 uh you know, he begins with Christ's resurrection, and there were the, the witnesses to it. You make this point um, in your introduction that uh, a lot of people back then would have scoffed at the idea of a resurrection. So there does take on that extra meaning, whereas maybe in our modern culture, at least in the Christian culture, we, we're we going to accept it that Jesus rose. But to a, a Greek that's hearing that for the first time, they'd think that just doesn't seem possible. What's going on with that? Well... We not only have 2,000 years of, of Christian teaching that they didn't have that, you know, it's, it's or let me, let me rephrase that. We have had 2,000 years, as you right. say, of Christian teaching, gospel teaching. And, you know, the Apostle Paul made a statement to Timothy that Christ, by his appearing, hath um, abolished death and he has brought life and immortality to light. Mm, right, right. And so, you know, we come to an understanding through the gospel mm-hmm. of eternal life that were really in some ways was shadowy and right. a mystery to the saints of old. So, you know, even to us who have heard all of our lives of a resurrection, the second coming of Jesus, all of these supernatural promises in the Bible and these supernatural uh, things that are recorded in the history of God's dealings with man, 
we've heard it so much that we accept it and mm. you know almost take it for granted. Mm. But for somebody who comes from a secular background, right? You know, a, 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 from a background of, of no faith or you know a very maybe even superstitious faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it would seem overwhelming to think that a human body could rise again. I mean, it'd be one thing to say that just after a person died, you know, that he could rise yeah. that day or a few minutes after he died. But, I mean, we're talking about people from the beginning of history mm-hmm. who we believe will one day rise again. And the question is asked here in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul asked the question rhetorically uh, on behalf of the skeptical Corinthians. Right. How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? And that's mm-hmm. really not an. I, I, when I read that, I don't see that as an honest question of people saying, "Well, I believe it, but I'm just curious as to how it could be. How will God do this?" Mm-hmm. But it's a question rooted in skepticism. Okay. How could there be a resurrection? Because I mean, what body would they have to have? Um, and you know, you get the same reaction from people today. I I relate to that a lot in that in Southeast Asia. There are a lot of people who, from the Buddhist perspective, would look upon the bodily resurrection as foolishness, mm-hmm. you know, which is similar to what happens in First Corinthians chapter one, two, and three about you know the Greeks see Jesus as foolish, and right. um, to the Jews he's a stumbling block. So there's nothing really new under the sun in that regard. Even even in the 21st century, if you're not living in the Bible Belt or somewhere, there's going to be a lot of folks that might need uh, an explanation. This isn't in the notes, but it's just coming into my head. Uh, didn't Paul in Acts chapter 17 use the resurrection as proof? Like it was evidence that, that Jesus was from God to skeptics. Yes. Right? In his sermon, you know, he he uses that as part of his message to people that didn't have a background with it. Yes. So and, and it was powerful then. And in the conclusion of his sermon on Mars Hill, mm-hmm. he appeals to the resurrection in regard to uh, the end of time. Uh, in fact, it strikes a similar note with here in 1 Corinthians 15, except in 1 Corinthians 15, right, Paul is writing to give hope to believers. Right. In Acts chapter 17, Paul refers to the future resurrection. I believe he implies the future resurrection as a warning to unbelievers. Right. Because okay. he says, you know, when he preaches there on Mars Hill, and what a tremendous masterpiece of a sermon mm-hmm. that is. I can envision those people listening in rapt attention to Paul mm-hmm. as he was explaining to them, declaring unto them the God that they did not know. Right. And they were probably just from a standpoint of curiosity of nothing else, yeah. giving him their attention until he gets down to the climax of the sermon and he says, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but right. now, now, in the, now that we have the full revelation of God through Christ, now... He commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by mm-hmm. that man of whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Right. And I think that what he's saying is there'll be a resurrection, as Jesus also said in John 5, Paul uh-huh. said, I think in Acts 24, there'll be a resurrection not only of the just in which there is hope, there'll be a resurrection of the unjust in mm-hmm. which there is dread because you will rise again to face God in judgment. That's right. Paul also in... um, And consequently, when he said that, that's when the whole tone changed and they began to mock uh at him because of the resurrection. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
that that's when it becomes the foolishness to him. Right. When he's on trial before, uh, is it the Sanhedrin that he says it's for the hope of the resurrection that I'm on trial? U- using that to kind of divide and conquer the Sanhedrin court, right? Because the fa- the Pharisees are suddenly saying, "Oh, there's nothing wrong with this guy," because they believe in a bodily resurrection. Right. Ah. So there's just a lot of connections there. Maybe we could begin um, with this point you've made about the problem of the skeptics. And you said from verse 35, maybe I can read it, mm-hmm. and then uh, ask the, that, that rhetorical question we mentioned earlier. But uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-five, Paul says this, But somebody will ask, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they come? And so it's, you know, like you've said, they're asking, how could this even be? Maybe you could comment on that and uh, tell us how you would respond to a skeptic or maybe some ways that we can. Well, there are at least two reasons why many times people struggle with subjects like this in the Bible. First of all, some people struggle with anything supernatural. Right. Well, you know, you can't get past Genesis 1 and 1 without <laughs> believing in the supernatural. That's a good point. I mean, there's nothing natural about Genesis 1 and 1. Right. The very Hebrew wording of that is that out of nothing God spoke and mm-hmm. something came to be. Mm-hmm. God, by his definition, is supernatural. He is yeah. outside of, above, transcends, time, space, matter. So when you're dealing with God, you're dealing with the supernatural. Mm-hmm. And as I heard one man say one time, and I often repeat this myself, if you can get past Genesis 1 and 1, why do you struggle with believing anything else that the Bible claims? Right. So that's stumbling block number one. Okay. They just are, you know, and especially in this day and time, we're not seeing miracles performed as they did in the first century. Right. So it becomes especially hard for some people to, to comprehend anything that's supernatural. And the resurrection is not a natural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It's not a natural process. It is absolutely a supernatural thing that will be wrought by the power of God. Mm. So that's stumbling block number one, and related to it, some people who even will accept the supernatural, they still have a block when it comes to things like this because they don't comprehend it. Right, and so they they would say, well, it's going to be the Spirit that resurrects on yes. the last days. Is that right? Is that... There are people that would say that, okay. and, and the resurrection of the Spirit takes place during this physical life. The resurrection of the Spirit takes place in obedience to the gospel. The spirit is dead in Uh sins and trespasses. Paul said that in Ephesians 2, but Mm. Christ hath quickened us who were dead in sins and trespasses. That's the spiritual resurrection the Bible speaks of. The fact of the matter is the spirit never ceases to exist. The spirit never dies, as I understand the scriptures. Uh, You know, once once God makes a living soul, there never comes a time that a person ceases to exist. His body may die. But what is death? James defined death for us in James 2 and verse 26 when he said, for as the body without the spirit is dead, faith without works is dead. Mm -hmm. Death is not when the spirit dies, it's when the spirit leaves. Right. And it goes somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Resurrection is the reuniting of the spirit with a glorified and changed body. And that's another thing. Some people misunderstand and discount or even deny the resurrection because they don't understand it. And some people have uh, a wrong conception of what we mean by resurrection. Hmm. Resurrection is not this body in its present state that's just going to close its eyes in death, be put in a coffin, and when the trumpet sounds, your eyes are just going to open and you're going to spring back to life and pick up where you left off. That's not what we're talking about. The resurrection is when something new 
comes forth from that which was old. Okay, and we're going to get into that in a little bit with this picture of the seed. Mm -hmm. You, uh, in your notes, talk about the miracle of a bodily resurrection actually occurring several times in scriptures, even Mm -hmm. uh, before Jesus walked the earth. There was a few examples. Mm -hmm. Um, If we were to go through some of them, you mentioned Elijah. Well, not you. The scriptures Mm -hmm. mention, but (laughs) Elijah and the widow's son in 1 Kings 17, Elisha and the Shunammite woman, uh, her son in 2 Kings chapter 4. And uh, there's at least 10 references in Scripture of a bodily resurrection. You even have the imagery that Ezekiel used, you know, the valley of dry bones. Right. Yeah, there are references all throughout the Old Testament to, to resurrection in one form or another for one purpose. I, I think one of the most... Um, powerful ones though dates all the way back to the patriarchal age and that's abraham himself he Mm -hmm. believed in a resurrection that's right the hebrew writer tells us he believed in a resurrection because when he and isaac were going off to the mountain for abraham to sacrifice isaac those people that were with him when they came inside of the mountain he said me and the lad we're going off to worship and then he said we will return to you right well we say well what did he mean by that well we don't have to wonder. The Hebrew writer says in mm-hmm. Hebrews chapter 11 that he figured that God was able to raise Isaac up even from the dead. And that's why he's the father of faith. That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> what was Jesus' words? I am the father of Isaac and Abraham and Jacob because he's not the God of the dead but of the living. Yeah. So he's bringing up this concept that Wasn't they're... he talking to the Sadducees uh-huh. there? And yeah, he made it was... He made a he made an argument basically by necessary inference there that mm-hmm. was an incredible argument by using the present tense verb instead of just talking right. about them. I am the, the God. I am the God of the. Uh, he says I'm the God is the God of the uh, living, not the dead. Right. And you know they understood that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died long and, ago. And they were gone. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you mentioned in Hebrews eleven nineteen a great example Abraham believing that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Uh, you've also earlier mentioned 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. I love that scripture, mm-hmm. how he were brought to life and immortality to light. So there was, you know, a lack of understanding on what immortality was or mm-hmm. through the bodily resurrection. But They had some hope right. of even a resurrection. Job seems to refer to it in Job 19. You have Abraham and Isaac. You know, there are there are flashes of the hope of a resurrection. Mm-hmm. How much they understood about that, I don't know. But Paul says, like I say to Timothy, that Jesus brings that to light. Of course, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Right. And and uh, we definitely, the, the doctrine of resurrection becomes a much more prominent theme um, in the New Testament. It's mentioned, I think, some 40 times. And mm-hmm. we have a we have a better understanding because of what we've seen demonstrated in Christ and secured by Christ. Well, you uh, the way that you have this organized is first Paul has taken on the, the, the spirit, I guess, of the skeptic and asking this question. But then he answers this question with a what is called the picture of a seed. Mm-hmm. Maybe I might read those verses and have you explain it to me. Sure. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 36 through 38. You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Can I stop you right there? Of course. For one thing, people stumble over the idea of a bodily resurrection, and they try to argue somehow that Paul isn't even really talking about the resurrection of the body, which absolutely makes no sense to me, because (laughs) here we have... 
58 verses where yeah. Paul's dealing with the bodily resurrection. Uh -huh. But this would have been the opportunity for Paul to have said, you foolish people, I'm not, what are you, I'm not talking about a body. Right. And explain what he was talking about. But Paul answers their mm -hmm. question in reference to the mm -hmm. body. So go ahead and proceed. That's powerful. Um, 37, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to, to each kind of seed its own body. So maybe there's some principles here you could enlighten. Well, I think that the body we have now will have a continuity to the body that is to come, but they're not the exact same thing. From the standpoint, that there'll be a change, a metamorphosis that takes place. Okay. And the, the body that God will give us in that day, or the body that this body will be changed into, I don't think we can understand or comprehend it. Uh, we just have to accept by faith what the Bible teaches about it. But God gives us the kind of body that will be fitted for eternity and his presence and so forth. And we may not understand. How and that that's will what be. people struggle with because they want to understand. Like, I need right. to know now. But Paul right. illustrates it, I think, in as clear of a way as he can that mortals like us can, can comprehend it. And that is when you see a seed planted in the earth and you see the plant come from that seed, mm -hmm. you see the resurrection demonstrated. Mm -hmm. There is a continuity between a seed and a plant. and But yet at the same time, they're not the exact same thing. Right. There are the, the seed, and there's a germ of life in that seed, mm -hmm. and there's really a mysterious process, even physically speaking, there's a mysterious process that takes place that we don't know how to explain, but we know that that seed, when it falls to the earth, something else comes forth. And you know the seed within itself is not anything that's particularly desirable. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, I use this illustration many times. My wife and I like flowers, and we like to go down to the nursery in the spring and summer and peruse the aisles and look at the various right. varieties of plants. And that's, you know, we enjoy that. But we don't ever wake up on Saturday morning and say, hey, let's go down to the co-op and look at the seed bins. Wouldn't that be nice <laughs> today? <laughs> and so, you know, this body has its limitations. It's been corrupted by the presence of sin in the world, the uh -huh. curse of Adam. Uh -huh. And, you know, we wouldn't desire to even live forever in this body. I wouldn't, not in the state that it's in now. Right. But we have the hope of a new body. Mm. But to say that it's a new body doesn't mean that it's disconnected from or has no relation to this body. There will right. be a resurrection, but there will be a change, just as there is a change between the seed you plant in the earth and the body that will result. Well, let me ask you this. Maybe somebody's out there thinking, what about uh, somebody whose body is destroyed? You know, somebody who's burned, somebody that perished at the sea or, you know, they've been dismembered or disfigured or whatever. Um, how how would that person, you know, recover from this if, if it seems like there's just a destruction that's beyond normal? Okay, well, first of all, as I said a few moments ago, it's not a matter of a person laying in a grave and suddenly their eyes open and they stand up and start walking around and uh, pick okay. up where they left off. Okay. Again, we have to keep in mind the seed produces mm -hmm. something new and of a different nature. I believe it'll be a body. I believe that it will be an actual body, but it will not be the same type of body that we have now, continuity between them. But, but if you want to think about it from a material standpoint, one of the most basic laws of physics and science says what? That matter is not created nor destroyed. And our mm -hmm. body is what? It's a mass of molecules. It's, you know, uh, atoms and so forth arranged into millions and millions and millions of cells. And uh, 
our body is matter arranged in that form. So, number one, even if a body decays, matter is not destroyed. Matter right. is basically, uh, what would the word be, rearranged in the universe. There you go. Okay. So, the body ultimately does not, it does not cease to exist. It just ceases to exist in the form in which it was. Okay. Okay. Well, the body made of matter is made up of cells. And you know, those cells are constantly dying and being replaced. They say about every seven years, every cell in your body has died and been replaced by a new one. Oh, man. So in a sense, you get a new body every seven years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you think about it, even though our bodies and that it, it, our bodies are being replaced every seven years, uh, I, I met a woman, I used this illustration when I preached the sermon. I, I, mm. I saw a woman in western Oklahoma in a meeting here a couple of years ago, and I had not seen her in 20-some years. She's an elderly woman. It had been over 20 years, and in fact, it had been so long that I had let her slip from my mind. I just forgot all about her. I had baptized her during a mission meeting out in western Oklahoma all of those years ago. Yeah. Well, she came to the meeting. Well, when she walked through the door, we saw each other. We immediately recognized one another, even though she had aged 20 years, was now probably 90 years old. Mm -hmm. And I had gone from being a 20-year-old, you know, <laughs> young preacher to, a, you know, middle-aged man and right. so forth. We had no problem recognizing, even though changes had taken place. Well, why is that? You know, if you think about it, in 20 years, I've had three new bodies. <laughs> <laughs> but I still am the same person. Why? Right. Well, because we have you know, a DNA. We have a schematic design for uh -huh. our body. And the Bible even refers to that in the 139th Psalm. And what a powerful Psalm that is, where the psalmist said in verse 16, thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect or, you know, unfinished. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. Mm -hmm. So God has a schematic design for who you are. And and that schematic design determines everything about you from the color of your hair, the color of your eyes, shape of your body. I mean, everything about you and then the essence of who you physically are, certainly. And so, you know, if God has those plans, if matter is not destroyed, if God can perform a supernatural feat, why is it so unreasonable to suggest that a supernatural God could recreate us out right. of something that exists if he could create the universe out of nothing? Oh, well, that's where we're going to stop it for this week. And I know that you may have wanted to continue on, but we'll put the break right there and bring it back next week. Now, until then, if you can't get enough of the Pure and Simple Bible podcast, you can go to the website and you can look up all the episodes. There should be a library of, I think by this point, 80 episodes. So uh, the first ones are kind of cringeworthy. And I'm not that proud of them, but I am proud of the content that I'm trying to put out each week. Proud of the brothers who join me and are willing to uh, talk about the Bible with me week by week. So go there, check it out. Uh, all the other episodes that are available at www.pureandsimplebible.com. And until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me.